Luxembourg. <laughs> Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. The Roadshow Edition. The Roadshow Edition. So yes, apologies to listeners. This episode is getting out a little later than usual. Uh, Chad and I are... We're homeless. Uh, we're uh, on the run from the cops. And uh, we're driving around with our podcasting equipment in the back of our... 1979 Jeep CJ7. That's right. But we're here and we're ready to talk hard. Greetings and salutations. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? So today we are talking about Patrick Rothfuss, The Wise Man's Fear, chapters 118 through 126. Yes, and up next week, we'll be going over chapters 127 to 135. And this was a bit of an odd division of chapters. But before we get into that really quickly, why don't you tell them our spoiler policy? So the spoiler policy is very simply that Liz has read the books. I have not read the books. So we will not spoil anything through or after, I should say, chapter 126 of The Wise Man's Fear. So up to this point, everything is fair game, but anything beyond this, we will not talk about. All right. So like I said, this was an odd way to divide the chapters up. I was really torn as to when to end this section. Uh, we could have really tacked on the next two, but it would have made next week's very short. So I just went with it. Given that, what was your overall impression this week? So I felt like it was a good section. There was some good stuff, um, some big moments for Quoth. I was very frustrated with how it ended because I felt like it ended in the middle of a fight. I know it was like, it was like, and then I fell down and I decided not to get up. And like that was the end of the chapter. And I'm like, what does that mean? So it was, it was very frustrating. And um, I feel like people have asked me, hey, how do you do this? How do you like read and then just sort of stop without, you know, and just waiting an entire week before you get to read again and go through. And for the most part, it doesn't usually bother me that much. I'm like, you know, this is kind of the price you pay for wanting to do the podcast and getting your raw interpretation. But this week, it sort of frustrated me. I really wanted to turn the page and find out what the hell happened next. So I feel like it was an okay section. I didn't take as nearly as many notes as I usually do. I didn't have nearly as many like historical things to go back and hunt, not as much tinfoil to unravel, but it was an, so it was an okay section. It was by no means was it bad, um, but not my favorite. Right. And you know, for me having decided, you know, I go through and decide where we're going to end. And it, it's interesting because for me, I knew that, the next chapter without giving anything away sort of uh, jumps ahead a little bit to a sort of a denouement. He's kind of rehashing the fight with someone else. Mm -hmm. So that is the end of the fight, him getting knocked down and being like, Oh, I can't get up in order to avoid being killed by car and having his arm ripped out of a socket. Exactly. Yeah. So that is the end of the fight. Now I understand now why just stopping there, you wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily have been clear to you. Um, and again, that's why I said in retrospect, I probably would have pushed it out 
But just uh, just so you understand, yes, that was yeah, the yeah. end of the fight. He wisely ended it by not getting up, which is huge growth for our both. Okay, yeah. and we'll get in more into that later. But yeah. let's go ahead and um, well, I'll just sort of give a summary of the overall section so people are clear because I know when we give chapter numbers, it's not always clear exactly what we're talking about. But we started off this section with Quoth in the midst of his training, and he's really struggling. And he says a couple of things that really piss Vachette off. Mm -hmm. And uh, she questions whether she wants to keep training him. Um, But eventually he has his trial to get into the school. He gets a sword. He gets all a new name. He's just kind of wandering around. and, And he ends up going to this stone trial which is the the final test to get into the school and or to to find out what his status in the school is or it's not very clear he's no. just kind of like what's next and uh, gets his ass handed to him basically mm-hmm. narrowly avoids being maimed by Carceret and that's where we ended <laughs> yeah we Chad. ended with him still on the ground still on the ground <laughs> so, so but did she uh, run over and stomp on his hands <laughs> what I mean what the hell happened right. I'm sorry, I'm the worst. No, it's fine. <laughs> you, you know, I think as you get here to towards the end and where we're kind of, you know, coming into act three here, I think of, of the wise man's fear. And as you get to the end, it's going to be harder to kind of make those decisions. And you just got to draw a line somewhere. Right, exactly. And the next couple of episodes, it, there were some pretty easy demarcations as far as the, the narrative is where it was like, okay, yeah, this is the end of this arc. And it wasn't as difficult. This one was just a tough call. Yeah. So it, it kind of is what it is. But we'll just kind of get into it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so chapter 118. So what happens in chapter 118? We begin with... Quoth and Vachette having a sparring session and Quoth gets chided by Vachette because he doesn't know what the purpose of sleeping bear is. And then we see that Quoth kind of goes off and watches Celine dancing underneath of the sword tree. So that's kind of what happens in 118. So a couple of things that I noticed. Um, we start off the chapter with Quoth and Vachette fighting, sparring. And one thing I noted is that he says that he doesn't even notice the wind anymore, even Mm -hmm. though it comes unexpectedly and without warning. And so anytime the wind is mentioned now, my my ears kind of perk up and I and I think about what does this mean? So it's interesting that he's become habituated to the wind. He's he's been immersed in it so long that he doesn't even notice it. Yeah, absolutely. And. It also says that sometimes the wind will come up suddenly and push you as like a hand between your shoulder blades. And it made me think about him being pushed out of Ambrose's window that time. Yeah, absolutely. The other, the thing I noticed about this is he has this big fight with Vachette. It's, I mean, it's, it's not the biggest blow up of, the, of this section, but it's a pretty big blow up. And then he talks about how he was starting to get to know people. And he says, you know... I couldn't help but things were going well. And I'm like, you just got yelled at by your teacher. How well do you think things are going? Like, He's just sort of oblivious to what he's oblivious to. Right. So we see Quoth, who is at times so astute in his observations of other yeah. people and at times so completely oblivious. <laughs> and I think it's that he's used to being really comfortable with being able to manipulate people and being thrown into another culture with another language his manipulation skills are not quite what he thinks they are. Well, yeah, and we ref- we get more references to that towards the end of the section. Right. So we'll highlight those, but yeah, I agree. 
Right. So I thought the the fight that Quoth and Vachette, which begins in this chapter and grows over this section, is about what is the purpose of fighting? Why is she teaching him to fight? And he he makes some kind of offhanded comment about like, she says, you know, you don't want to hurt someone. And he says, well, isn't that the point of all this? And she kind of loses her mind. She gets quite upset with him. Right. So, and I, I find an interesting contradiction here in what is the Lathani. Okay. So she says, you know, the purpose of this move is not to hurt someone. The purpose is control. And she says, first you control yourself, then you control your surroundings, then you can control your opponent. That is the Lathani. Mm -hmm. And we know that control is important in the Lathani because Tempe talks about it when he is asked why he doesn't run after Felurian. And he says, well, I was taught control. You know, it's, it's a central part of the Lathani. But at the same time, the impression that I've always had is that the Lathani is about surrendering control to hmm. this sort of higher moral guidance, sort of amorphous, like moral force. I didn't necessarily get that. So I, that's the way I always thought it was. They yeah. submit themselves to the Lathani. They follow the Lathani, but at the same time, it's about self-control and discipline. So I just thought that was an interesting dichotomy Yeah, that I'd never noticed before. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think it's interesting because so much of what Kvothe struggles with as a character is letting go of the need to control everything around him. Yeah, absolutely. The the note I had on that fight was that Kvothe still doesn't get how to play talk. Like, yes. it's, it's still not simply about dispatching your opponent. Yes. And I wonder if part of it is that Kvothe has learned external control. He has learned to put on whatever face he needs to to succeed the best in his environment but he hasn't really internalized and learned control over his inner being his own feelings his own mindset and maybe yeah. that's what he is going to supposed to get out of this experience no that's a good point i think i think that's accurate i hadn't looked at it that way so and then i just love the the scene at the end of the chapter with saline uh playing among the thousand spinning knives of your people's sacred tree. Yeah, yeah. And that was just such a sweet little little scene there. And she gets chastised by and the And then shed. gets chastised. Yeah, what are you doing? Don't play in the knife tree. Yeah, and she cuffs her up against the head. You know the comment I've wanted to make several times but just have never, I always forget to make it, but one of the things that's sort of striking to me about this culture is that they believe in learning through being smacked around. <laughs> It's true. You know, like, don't do that. We are very advanced. We are not barbarians. Don't do that. Swap. <laughs> so 119? 119 is called Hands. Yeah, and this is where Quoth takes sort of a walking tour of Hert and talks gets to meet some of the different uh, strange residents, including somebody by the name of Two Fingers, where he has quite a moment with. Then he gets into his sparring with Celine, who enjoys punching Quoth in the dick, and then Vachette <laughs> gets angry and roughs Quoth up. Yeah, that's pretty much what happens. Um, so let's talk about Two Fingers. I think yeah. it's interesting oh, because... Oh, Two Fingers. Throughout the books, Quoth has always had this fear of something happening to his hands. And Vachette then sends him to spend some time with this cook, who they call Two Fingers, because he's had most of the fingers on his hand removed. And they have a talk about um, fear, basically. Mm -hmm. 
And is it worth risking your hands? And it's interesting because I think one of our listeners um, brought up some time ago the idea of this culture who relies on their hands so much for communication, but they're a fighting culture and often do they ever lose their hands? And I think it, this kind of addresses that. So we do yeah. have this character who has lost all but two fingers and seems to still be able, still to, communicate. able to communicate. Yeah. Now, if you lost an entire hand, I don't know, they might just yeah. not be able to communicate as well. But that's interesting. So two fingers kind of forces this conversation with him like, hey, you need to talk about this and you need to face this fear. And uh, basically he tells him that fear is the mind killer and that <laughs> it's the little death. It's the little death. Um, but that he's, uh, what Listen, he's, people who are on the run can't live in fear. It's true. If you're going to set up your own pirate radio station, you can't be running around <laughs> living in fear all the time. You can't do it, man. You can't. <laughs> so two fingers isn't three-fingered hob from a song of ice and fire isn't he also the cook at the wall or is he the the blacksmith he's the cook isn't he three-fingered hob is the cook i don't remember i believe he is i don't remember leads me to question why you keep putting people in the kitchen who are maimed the kitchen where you need a high degree of small motor dexterity (laughs) I mean, we could get into that. I, I, I think that... No, let's not. Okay, let's not. We'll <laughs> let's, get really sidetracked. Let's not get into that. Um, but so, so Two Fingers basically tells him, yes, I lost three of my fingers, but if I had lived my life in fear of that happening, I never would have become what I am now. And I think he says, I, I would have more, but I would be less. Yeah, absolutely. He would have more I, fingers. I, but He would have more fingers, but he would be less than he was. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really liked that. Yeah, um, I thought that was good. I, You know, I, I, it was unfortunate, I think, that Quoth didn't pick up that until he got to Two Fingers, that everybody she was sending him to, she was sending him to for a purpose, but he wasn't really able to co- connect what that purpose was for anyone except for this one where the purpose was quite obvious. Right. So, uh, yeah, so yes, then basically, uh, Celine kicks him in the groin a lot and it's a noxious habit, uh, to him, <laughs> but to Vachette just says, oh no, it, it, it just makes her unpredict, it makes her predictable in a fight. And yeah, so she and needs then, to grow out of it. And then she says to quote, Hey, now's a good time to learn to fight while you're, while you're injured. And then Kvothe just puts his foot in it. Oh, he's, yeah, he just right can't, in it. he can't, uh, you know, can't think beyond his own dick. So, so, oh, very good call. Or, or the discomfort of his It's <laughs> true. It's true. So, yes, even after the whole debacle and the, and the tiff they had before, he still keeps pushing the sword thing. Yeah. Why don't you teach me how to use a sword? Um, and then he says, uh, she says, what is the purpose of a sword? And he says, to use it. And he's wrong. He's wrong. Why don't we have knives for hands then? Exactly. So he still doesn't quite grasp the full implication of what is going on here with him being trained as a barbarian by them, what she is giving him, and the idea that he's just learning this so that he can go out into the world and hack people with a sword is... Well, because they've expressly told him that's like the one thing they don't want him to do. And like he just, he does not get that. Right. Well, he will. Because she beats the hell out of him. Yeah, she does. And uh, enough to leave marks, which he doesn't, well, he realizes in the next chapter, and we'll move on to the next chapter, 
was quite purposeful because she knows exactly how hard to hit him. Right. So chapter 120 is called Kindness. And Quoth has a sweet little interaction with uh, Penthe. Are we calling her Penthe? Penthe, yeah, that's what we've been saying, yeah. Right. We could be wrong, but we will be wrong together. <laughs> he tries to make up with Vachette and um, basically kind of realizes how much trouble he's in. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end, we see him start, start to kind of prepare something. 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 So he's gathering, he's gathering things. We don't quite know what it is. But my impression, and I'm kind of at the end here, is that this feels, as I'm reading this, I'm like, this feels remarkably like the Debbie situation all over again. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Penthe. Yeah. I so, just love her. I think she's a great character. She, I like Penthe too. So there were a couple of predictions that I made last week that I'm happy to announce are pretty much immediately proven wrong in this section. The first of which being that um, that Celine is the daughter of Penthe. Because we learn in this section that Penthe is probably 20 years old. Right. So highly unlikely that she has a 10-year-old daughter. Right. Unless there's some weird biological stuff going on that we don't know about. Right. So prediction number one wrong. So then we get this situation with uh, Vachette where he goes back and wants to kind of have a conversation with Vachette. And basically she tells him that he is one with the dark side. She sees great anger in him. <laughs> and for the for the goodness of society in general, she may have to kill him. <laughs> Go prepare yourself however you see fit, mm-hmm. young Master Anakin. <laughs> so... Um... So this, so we start the chapter off with this sweet little interaction with Penthe, and she, the chapter is called Kindness, mm-hmm. and Penthe comes to him and, and tells him that it would be kindness if he would speak a turn to her, but really she's extending a kindness to him because she can tell that he is, he's just pretty much at his lowest at this point. His one ally, and one of his only allies in the school has now left marks on his face. He's teetering at the brink of disaster. And so she comes and she, they have a little thing about smiling and they write each other little poems and leave notes in each other's lockers. And it's just (laughs) stinking adorable. And, um, one thing that I, that really stood out to me this time was how, you know, the Edemic hand language seems so subtle and complex and you're let's she seems so needlessly complicated but on here we get the flip side of that and Penthe is asking questions about what do different smiles mean and you realize that our our language is actually pretty subtle and complex with body language and facial expressions and all of that 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 was interesting to me because she's like with my family I know what this twist of the brow means or that but I don't know what it means with everybody else out in society. And I don't know. I don't know. I found that kind of tough to swallow because I don't think our facial expressions change around family members. Maybe they do. And Maybe I don't. they don't change, but think how easy it is to misinterpret someone's facial expression, especially when you don't know them well. Mm, that's true. I mean, yeah. how many of us complain about having resting bitch face? Yeah, good point. Okay. The ADEM don't have resting bitch face. No, no. They I don't think... even have to worry about it. <laughs> I think they always have resting bitch face. Or they all have resting bitch face, which in that case doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because if everyone has it, you're good. That's the new normal, baby. <laughs> But, you know, when you think of it that way, it's actually a little simpler to have one hand gesture that means everything and everyone knows exactly how to interpret things. 
yeah, there's a lot, lot of less, less room for interpretation errors in the with the hand gestures, where there's a lot more room for interpretation errors in the actual language. True. Whereas we kind of have the opposite. Yeah. So um, after this little interaction, Kvothe goes over and tries to make up with Vachette, but she is not having it. No, not having it at all. And I, I thought this was a really interesting little character commentary on Kvothe. You know, the, the ADEM are really deep thinkers and they're really observant. And I think the Vachette was able to pick up on things about Kvothe that most others don't, maybe due to his inability with the to use the language properly yeah, it could be you yeah. know and and again he this is a character who's very accustomed to being able to go out and manipulate people with his words and he taught was taught from a very young age how to act different ways and we see him putting on these masks he's not as able to do that here no and i think also it sort of shows that wearing a mask for him is sort of the normal it is, and Vachette expresses this concern that she has seen a gentleness in him, but she's also seen something that's not gentle, and she doesn't know which is the mask. And if the gentleness is the mask, then that means that there is something really broken in him that the Lathani cannot even fix. Yeah, that goes deeper than the Lathani. And, you know, this was one place where I thought, hey, I don't know, man, here might be an opportunity to talk to somebody about why you're such a broken soul. Like, right. Like here might be a place. And I, I know we've got that part. I wish I could remember what it was where you talk about the difference between the different types of secrets and secrets of the heart, you know? Right. And so I know it's difficult for a quote, but like, this was like the first instance where I was like, you know, I don't know, maybe to save your life in your hands, you could also kind of open up a little bit and talk about what's been haunting you. Except that at but this no. point, Vachette has told him, won't let him speak. We, yeah. She, she on the outset said, well, she even says, uh, I know that you can bend the world with your words and that you're a clever and charming liar. So don't even talk because anything you say, I'm not going to be able to trust you because you would be talking out of fear. Well, in that in that instance, that's true, but... But no, I agree. His and I think it's just such a a reflection of reality. When we keep those secrets of the heart, it harms us. Yeah. You know, and we might think that something is pushed down far enough that it's not affecting us or anybody else, but it always comes out. It always comes out sideways. Yeah, absolutely. And he is despite being surrounded here, I mean, he is so complete like he has nobody in the world, not Elodin, not Simon, not Will. Not Devi, not Vachette, not Tempe. There's nobody that he feels like he can share those deep, dark secrets. And that's got to rot at your soul. Right. And it says here that after he leaves her, he goes and thinks dark thoughts. Mm -hmm. and he starts collecting a pretty ominous little bunch of items. Uh, he's melting wax for a moment. He's gathering up a heat source. He's yeah. getting he's gathering all these different things. And you're like, and I was like, this is what's he this gonna is do? not good. This is not good. And then in chapter 121. So I want to real quick just highlight the last line of this chapter 120 is what do any of us have when words fail us? We have a mixtape that's a masterpiece. Dun, dun, dun. Because then chapter 121 is called When Words Fail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So when words fail, what Quoth decides to do is he decides to play his lute for Vachette. Right. So he he heads off to Vachette's house after collecting things to make a momet. Mm-hmm. And you think he's going to boil her from the inside out. What's going on here? Right? Yeah, yeah. But instead... Yeah, so, uh, yeah, this was a, a little bit of a misdirect because, as you said, we've got all this collection of things. You know, he pulls her out of the house. He leads her out to a grove far away where sound doesn't travel particularly well. She does not bring her sword. He chooses to highlight that in the narrative. And you're like, what are you going to do, you idiot? Like, I'm sorry, I just got the mixtape joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I Her mixtape's a, a masterpiece. I made you a mixtape. So, gotcha. <laughs> um, when all words fail, I she feel. speaks. Her mixtape's a masterpiece. <laughs> okay. Walks right. through the garden so the roses can sing. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I'm back. I'm back on the book. So, so he walks her out, and, you know, I wasn't particularly worried that he was going to kill Vachette because, you know, although I know, I, I thought he might do something stupid, but I didn't think he was going to kill her because... I don't think he's going to, he's just not the type to murder somebody in cold blood. Like when it's unnecessary, like if he, if he wanted to leave like and try his luck on the road, as opposed to waiting for them to kill her, to kill him, you know, uh, you know, I I could understand and why he would want to gather those things in case they corner him kind of made sense. I didn't think he was going to bring her around and kill her. And thankfully he doesn't. Uh, He sets up his shade as sort of a, a curtain because that's what the IL or, the Adem do. <laughs> nice Freudian slip there. And he plays music for her, you know, as a sort of a way to explain to her that, you know, this is this is who he is. It's a huge part of him. And I guess that's his the best way he knows to kind of bear his soul to her is to play that music that goes beyond the songs and that music that he played in the in the woods when he was a child alone. You know, he wants to share that with her the only way he knows how. Right. It's a short chapter. He realized that without his music, Vachette can't really know him. And that's why she had really an incorrect assessment of his character. Yeah. And his music is such a huge piece of who he is. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just think that it's so interesting. We left the last chapter with the impression that he's going to imply that when words fail, we turn to violence. Yeah, words yeah. fail, we prepare ourselves to fight. But instead, he turned to music. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I just think that that's, we know that. Um, but it's, Pat- you know, the other part of it is it's sort of also like, to the ADEM, you have to wonder, like, because they've said, you know, music is a, you know, you're a music musician, you're a whore. So is this sort of the equivalent of being like, you don't understand, I give really good head? Like, no, you don't get it. It's really good. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought of it that way. (laughs) So chapter 122 is called Leaving. um, And he goes back in the morning to Vachette's house and basically realizes that, okay, She's not going to kill him. Yeah, th- this was the part where I, I was like, oh, th- I was more concerned in this part than I was in the next part. But anyway, I'm cutting off your summary. So go ahead. So um, he goes back to find out his fate and finds out that Vachette has decided to let him live. And he goes back to his training. But then he finds out that his 
test to get into the school has been moved up. Yeah. So let's start off with his approach to Vachette's house. He goes back in the morning. He's got his travel sack. He's got his loot. He's got his shade. He's got a mommet. Yeah. He's, and, got a, he's ready. And he stumbles on the doorway, grabs mm-hmm. her shoulder, manages to grab a hair. Yep. You know, I, and here's where I was like, no, man, like this, this is exactly how things started off with Debbie. Yep. You're, you're going to try and do something and it's just going to end badly, man. Well, and I think we can assume safely that if Vachette had said, prepare to die, he was going to let her have it with everything Oh, he I had. agree. Yeah. He I, was going to use that tool against her I for abso- sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if the choice is submit to some other culture's weird ass rules and allow yourself to be killed or fight back. You're going to fight back, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't blame him for doing that. Right, but thankfully, Vachette says, you know, someone who breaks a puzzle because they cannot solve it has left the Lathani. So she decides she's had enough evidence on both sides. Firstly, I'm assuming hearing him play, and then secondly, she has had visits from Penthe and from Carceret, mm-hmm. who were speaking both for and against him. Uh, attempting to sway her and she has had enough evidence on both sides that she's unsure and so she's not just going to kill him she's going to continue to watch him and they continue their training but it's definitely with an air of unease and he has definitely learned to be more cautious about what he says and um, at the end of this we find that Shane has decided to that he needs to take his test earlier than originally planned because he has been doing a good job at building some bonds in the community. And um, if she does have to kill or maim him, she doesn't want people to be too mad. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's like if you're going to if you're going to get if you have a farm and you're going to get a pig and you have little kids. Don't let him name it. Don't let him name it. (laughs) You're going to have to kill the pig quickly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't let it get attached. So the other, the other, the only other thing I sort of noted in here, you know, a- after all of that is that when Vichette sees his shade, now it's twice that she's seen it, but at neither point does she ever make any sort of comment about it. She's like, I'm going to have to teach you how to fight with that thing. You know, a thing like this can be useful. But she does. She's not like holy hell. So that leads me to believe they're familiar with this. This is not something that's unusual to them. That's interesting. You know, it's not. You know, whereas when we were at the Pennywise, or it's not the Pennywise. The uh, the Pennywise, yeah. Oh, okay. So when we were at the Pennywise Inn, people are like, "What is that? What is that thing?" You know, and it's like Taverlin and his ever changing cloak. You know, but here in in Ademre. Nobody seems to bat an eye. Yeah, that is very interesting. So that was all I had there. Yeah. So chapter 123 is called The Spinning Leaf. And I love this chapter. Yeah, this was a good chapter. Yeah, this was definitely the highlight of it. And so here is where Quoth goes and has his test. And his test is at the um, the sword tree. And he needs to fight his way through the wind and through the blades to capture an item and come out of the other side. And, you know, he's like, I'm going to get cut to ribbons. But through the use of the spinning leaf, he is actually able to call the wind and control it, not once, but twice. Yay! So he's finally starting to get some mastery. 
So we start off this chapter talking about the wind, and Quoth is walking into this re- having no idea what the trial even yeah, entails. Yeah. Um, but, but he's told that Carceret has been praying for a storm, but thankfully the wind is only gusting. It's only gusting. So we know that the wind is going to have something to do with it. And then, yes, he finds out that there are items placed around the bottom of the sword tree, and it's his job to go in there, choose an item, and bring it back. But it's not really that simple, like anything with the ADEM. Everything about his behavior is a test of his character. What he chooses, what he does with it after, how he gets in, how he gets out, how long he takes, all of that stuff is being judged by all of these schoolmasters, basically. Mm -hmm. And then he starts out noting that the tree reminds him for a minute of the tree that the the Cathay is in, which is a kind of an ominous start to his test. It is, for sure. Um, but I love this part. And then he's he's kind of all in trepidation and you're like, man, how is he going to do this? And then he says, when you're alone, it's easy to be afraid. But he realizes he wasn't alone. And he says, there is nowhere in the world that I am more comfortable than on a stage. So once he kind of puts himself in that he's got an audience, you just know it's going down. Yeah. Don't you at that point? You're like, he's going to do something really awesome. Yeah, I kind of hope this was going to be another... You know, another situation where he he does something really cool. And and it didn't, I mean, I was probably a couple sentences into it, you know, or, you know, once I kind of realized what the test was, I'm like, he's going to have to call the wind to be able to get through this task without getting all banged up. And he does. And he manages to call the wind and kind of get underneath underneath the blades without getting cut at all, which, you know, has got to be some sort of a, you know, like... That's that, I, that's got to be extraordinarily rare that anything like that happens. And he he thought that there was like a sword tied to the tree, but when he gets in in there, he realizes there's all kinds of things under there, including his loot, oh. which causes him a moment of anger. And when he gets angry, he loses the name of the wind. And to this point, anytime he's lost the name of the wind, it's been this huge letdown, this big emotional thing. And he has not been able to recall it. So you think, okay, now he's stuck under here. And he's got all this anxiety going on. But he has a moment where he realizes that he's got to go to the bathroom really bad. And he's like, (laughs) how funny would it be if what I did when I got to the tree was to take a piss on it? (laughs) And so he starts to laugh. And as soon as he starts to laugh... He's able to sort of build, bring that tension down, and now he's able to see the name of the wind again and call it. And what that reminded me of is the line where he said, not thinking, the Lathani comes from the same place that laughing comes from. Mm. And I thought, it's this laughter that is the same place that allows him to get into a state of mind where he can call the name of the wind. And so I just thought that was an interesting way that he was able to break that habit of not being able to recall the name of the wind. That is a really good point. You you know, um, you think about 
what we've what we learned in Master Aloden's class and how what he's always trying to get his students to do is to act on instinct. Yeah. To stop overthinking, act on instinct. And laughter is kind of an instinct. It's like an abandonment. Um yeah, yeah. and what Quoth has always done, he's only been able to find that abandonment in the grips of very strong emotions or in most dire need. But in this case, he's starting to be able to train his mind to let go of that conscious control. And, you know, then he does lose it for a minute when he sees his loot yeah. and gets angry, but he is able to more easily regain it by letting go of those feelings. So it is interesting to sort of deconstruct how this actually works. And yeah. um, then he, when he is able to call, but then when he's able to call it and the, the tree falls still and he just like, he walks slowly out and he cuts his left hand and raises his bloody fist. And it's just, it's like, it's bad donkey. It's bad donkey. <laughs> That's exactly what I wrote in my notes, actually. You wrote bad donkey? Hey, absolutely. I wrote bad donkey. You did? High five. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I thought it's interesting and very important, too, that he willingly cuts his hand at this point. Because at this point, everyone in the town knows that he's afraid of something happening to his hands. It's yep. obviously been spread around. So the fact that he willingly does that is uh, very significant. Yeah, absolutely. And he does pass the test then. Yes. Epic show-off kind of way. Great chapter. Yeah, uh, that's that was the highlight of the section for me, w- without a doubt. He, he Really well done. And I love the way chapter 124 begins. With Vachette calling him a gaudy showboating bastard. Yes. <laughs> you gaudy showboating <laughs> bastard. You son of a bitch. So go ahead and give a quick summary of this one. So chapter 24, um, so in chapter 24, as we said, Vachette calls him a showboating son of a bitch, and then Cheyenne says, well, now you're, it's, you need a name. And so they take him to go get a name, and then in addition, they have kind of a conversation, and Cheyenne tells him a little bit about the Rinta, which is a... Uh, an endemic word for the Chandrian. Dun, dun, dun. So the Chandrian come back around a little bit here, and that's yeah. pretty cool. And we had a little bit of, we'll get into that in a minute. So they go, they go see Shane after getting his hand fixed uh, by someone who is not a friend of Carceret's mother. Hmm. Important to point out. And they talk, and this, um, this issue of, she starts asking him, so now she's seen him call the wind, and she's like, so... How about that magic thing? What's yeah? I wanted to. What, what's going on with that? You so, know, what are you? How are you gonna? What are you gonna do? So now she's realized that she's helped to make a rock star wizard ninja, ninja sex, sex god. god. Absolutely. Um, she's like, oh, I just put the N in the rock star wizard. <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I? So she's like, how are you gonna? <laughs> now she's starting to see it from Carcer. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have. But so then she she asks about the the Rinta that. Well, and what she says, which I thought was important, is she says. Tempe tells me that, you know, you were able to call down lightning and use this great power and use blood magic. And he was like, it's like, I thought about lying, but I just said yes. And then she says, Tempe also tells me that there was a Rinta, which he's like, I don't know what that is. She say, explains it as a Chandrian. But then the thing that I didn't catch the first read through on the second read through, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That means Tempe knew that that was a member of the Chandrian back when we were figuring that out. Right. So even some 
like low level, got more tits than wits. <laughs> I was just going to say more tits than wits. Edemic mercenary can recognize a Chandrian mm-hmm. when nobody else can. Not even, even quote who's never seen one before mm-hmm. doesn't recognize it. So they clearly have a great deal more experience with these, the Chandrian, than anybody else seems to in this area. Right. So he's in the right spot. And the they didn't lie. Right. And Shane um, is the the first time we hear one of the ADEM expressing a desire for him to use what he's learning in the Ketan in some way. And she yeah. asks, will you, will, are you going to use what Tempe taught you in order to kill this, this thing? And he says, yes. And she says, good, good. This is the first time we've heard an ADEM say, yes, go out and use it. This is this is an okay, this is an acceptable yeah. <laughs> target for your violence. But then she's like, but you're not good enough. <laughs> yeah, we you need a lot more work. The other the other thing is that here's another opportunity where she gives him sort of a chance to open up and talk about you know, there's an opening where they just sort of watch him for like a like a minute, which if you wait and look at somebody for 60 solid seconds, you're you're giving them an opportunity to speak up. It's like she I can't I wish I could remember the exact wording, but she's clearly wants him to say more about what happened and why he wants to hunt down the Chandrian and why did he you know, and where did he see another one? And he just sits and looks at her. He doesn't take the opportunity. So you wonder whether him telling her that story would have helped or hurt him because she is already pretty convinced that there is probably something deep down broken in him. Would her knowing what that thing is be in his favor or not? We don't know. I I don't know. There's no way of knowing. But either way... He doesn't tell her. I think it's interesting that she points out, well, she says, you know, if you were to train for a year, you would be Tempe's equal. And he says, oh, thanks. And she says, it's not a compliment. It's not a compliment. (laughs) She says, I'm pointing out your weakness. Your weakness is that you learn quickly. And that leads you to rashness. And this is not the first time that's been said to to Quoth before. So again, we see how intuitive the ADEM are. Yeah, absolutely. So, So then they take him to go get his name. She's got Master Elodin eyes. <laughs> Instead of Betty Sorry. Betty Davis eyes? Yeah. That's what I was trying to go there. Gotcha. I'm not a quoth, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so they take him to uh, this the, the proverbial little old lady living on the side of a hut in the side of a mountain, Magwen. And she is a shaper of names. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting that quoth calls her a shaper and that we've we've just learned that there are things... Such as shapers. Such as shapers, yeah. And um, it's her job to na- give a new name to the people who are admitted to the school. And um, he ha- she has eyes that remind him of um, Elodin's. They, he, when she looks at him, she fe- he feels like the air is sucked out of him. And she gives him the name uh, Maedra. Mm-hmm. And there's something there that's significant, yeah, but we don't know. Of, yeah, exactly. You know, Vachette's like, Really? <laughs> and of course, we don't know what it is. So right. anytime again that these new words and things pop up, one of the things I do is I go back and I look and say, have these words popped up before? Ooh. You know, are there other areas where we've seen this? You know, and I'm like, okay, does the word Madra come up again somewhere? 
And it only comes up in one place, and that's chapter 71 of The Name of the Wind, in my version of the book. It's, it's page 71. And um, it's where he basically says at the very beginning of a story, the Adem call me Madra, which means, you know, burning tree or thunder. or It means flame, thunder, burning tree. Oh, I'm and sorry. does that sound familiar to you? Oh, the name of... There you go. It's the name of the chapter where, where he you... kills the bandits by calling down lightning. Oh, yeah. You told me it was going to come back around. I did. So that's the only other place that that comes up in, at least up to this point that we've read. Um, so I don't know. So we'll see if that, if we get what that subtext that's going on there is. Right. We'll figure out if we... I, my take is that Vachette's like, really, that's just kind of dramatic, don't you think? <laughs> a little over dramatic for this, like, diva son of a bitch here that just, you know. Or maybe Tempe told her the story. Ooh, maybe. Of him burning down a tree with lightning. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. So the other new word we get here is the word Rinta. And I was like, okay, is that going to come up anywhere? So I went back and I looked for the references to the word Rinta. And there is only one place. And once again, it is in the name of the wind, and it is at the very end of the name of the wind, in the chapter where the Mayel or whatever that demon is, the the mercenary captain, walks in. Oh, right. And he starts speaking to Quoth, and he starts speaking in some sort of like fey language that nobody understands. And the very last thing he's going on and on is a bunch of words we don't understand. Right. And then he says, te rinte question mark <gasps> and that's the moment where quoth picks up the bottle and hurls it at him and attempts to perform sympathy up to that point he had done nothing violent at all whoa good catch so quoth ca- caught it and it pissed him off interesting he understood at least an, uh, enough to pick up that word wow that's amazing. I did, I've did. i never caught that before. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. Good job. I do stuff every once in a while. High five. <laughs> All right. So chapter 125 is called Kesura. And this is where Quoth gets a sword. Anyway. He gets a sword. Yeah. That's the whole chapter summary. So Shane and Vachette take him to an inner room and it's noted that they are out so deep inside they cannot hear the noise of the wind. Mm, yeah. So that's always, and it's a very solemn looking room, candles and swords hung on the wall. And the and only place that, that he's been to that's been locked. Yes, yes. So obviously this is a very kind of solemn ceremony and um, Vachette is given the task of picking a sword for him. You can tell she doesn't really want to. Yeah. So you can tell this is going to be something that um, is very important and um, has a lot of, meaning that Quoth probably doesn't understand. So each of these swords is significant in some way. And it's interesting that she goes down the first wall and she's picking them up and she hands them to him. And it's kind of like the, um, you never read Harry Potter. No. It's, it's very much like when, when a wizard gets picking his out wand, a wand. Yeah. They pick up a wand and, you know. I watched, I read up to that part. Okay. So um, anyway, the but she goes down. The wand picks the wizard. The wand, yeah. So the sword picks the mercenary, I guess. Yeah. And uh, he swishes and it's not right. And she goes to the second and then she kind of slows down. And whenever she picks up one of these swords that seems kind of special, has the same burnished gray hilt as hers, you could tell she doesn't want him to try it. Yeah, yeah. She's like, oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, and then she gets to the third wall and she's even more reluctant. Yeah. Um, so you get the impression that the swords are getting more special as she goes on. And so or she older or older, she picks up this one and you could tell she's like, Oh, not oh God, this not one. this one. Please, not this one. And it's that one. Of course one. it's that of one. Course. So she gives it to him and it's perfect. And I noted that um, it has a guard that sticks out a little more than the others um, that would protect his hand. Just a and little extra. Just like it's perfect for him. It feels perfect in his hand. Um, Vachette and Shane both, both agree this is it. This is the sword. And it's named, um, say, Sarah. Mm-hmm. But he pronounces it at first. He thinks that she says Kesura. Mm-hmm. And now I could, I'm probably pronouncing those totally wrong, but. Well, I think the pronunciations would probably be closer. Right. So Kesura versus Kesura yeah. or something like that. But either way, because he's like, what? What? And they kind of go back and forth. Right. And, you know, it's not like he's calling somebody named Bill Bob. Right. So, they, so they're probably pretty close pronunciation, close right. to each other. But the name that he uses, Kesura, is that that break in the line of old Vintic, old Vintic verse yeah. that Sim told him about. Absolutely. Which, you know what it also means? Hmm. It also means it cannot be the name, or most likely is not the name, of our poet king from the small kingdoms. So that's prediction number two that I got Oh, wrong. yeah, sorry. <laughs> from last week. <laughs> But, but we still um, don't know why he calls it poet killer. So I'm holding out hope. <laughs> but so anyway, they then take him to Magwin and she's like, oh, of course he got that sword. Well, of course we don't he know did. why. But um, his his job is to learn the sword's atas or history. Mm-hmm. And um, so he starts learning this list of names and a couple of interesting things about that. Okay. You know, um, so first first came Chael. He's he's memorizing this list. One that stuck out, which he kind of stops her at this point, but he says, Next came Finnell of the clear and shining eye, much beloved of Dulkin. She slew two Daruna and then was killed by Gremen at the Drossen Tor. So yeah. if you picked up on that too. I did. And that was the moment where I was like, holy shit, this sword is old. Old, because Drossen Tor. That's back um, in the War of Creation War. It was the the biggest, the penultimate battle of the Creation War. Now, we yeah. don't know if she was killed at the Creation War, but we know that means that the sword is at least, pre, you know, predates that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so there's just some interesting speculation. I looked up Drossen Tor on the, the wiki, and someone okay. there pointed out that it's a perfect anagram for the word stone doors. Oh, you're right. Damn, I never mm-hmm. thought about that. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. And so we can just oh, wow, start, start, start okay. to like kick around and speculate that we know that the sword is more than 2,000 years old. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of well, throw some speculations we, around about how long ago that was. And Well, it's at a minimum 2,000 years old. Right. Yeah. The um, the other thing, too, is remember we talked about at the ba- after the Battle of Drosin Tor a great evil was locked away. Mm-hmm. And we think that's behind EX, the stone doors. And EX is locked behind the stone doors. Right. So just more evidence, I think, to say that that, that might be accurate. So that's just, or, that's just yeah, all very yeah. interesting. That gives, gives you goosebumps a little bit, doesn't it? Oh yeah. I'd never thought about the anagram. So that, that's good. That's Neither good catch. had I, um, hat tip to whoever put that on the wiki. Yeah. I um, went back and I looked for Shayel cause I thought, well, Maybe the first name, maybe that's one of these historical figures, one of the oddball 
Amir's or somebody who pops up in a, in, but it doesn't. I, I couldn't find any other reference to it. So, and I didn't, I didn't go through and look up all the names. I just looked up the first one. So I was not, I would not have pulled that out of there. So good stuff. It is good stuff. And so um, one last thing is that he goes back and forth a little bit with Magwin. He's not foolish about this, but um, about the name of the sword. And so it's interesting to see, you know, Quoth's abilities as a namer come out a little bit. And that um, she insists that the name is Cesare, which means to break, to cut, to fly. And he's like, that name is good, but it's not the name. His name, Kesera, means a jarring break in a line of perfect verse, a broken breath. And I don't know, I just thought, I love the language there. I thought that was pretty cool to see him as he's growing in his other abilities, his ability in naming is, is growing as well. Well, and I think also his ability to keep his mouth shut. Because, right, exactly. Because he was like, "Okay, that's a great name." Say, say Sarah, it is, you know. <laughs> but in, in the, you know, in the narration, in the meta, you know, he says, "How do I explain this? It wasn't the right name, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know." But he didn't say it to her. Great and esteemed namer. Right. He just shut up and went, "Okay." Now, unfortunately, he follows that up by sort of shooting himself in the foot in the beginning of the following chapter. Chapter 126 is called The First Stone, and it's where he has his stone trial, and we find out what that is. Yeah. We begin this chapter with him coming out, having memorized uh, 200 and something names and histories of every owner of the sword. And it takes an hour to recite it. It takes an hour to recite it, and and he finds out that um, he's, you know, the fastest to ever memorize and he's all proud because he's worked so hard and he's the best and <laughs> he finds out that that's actually not a good thing that's, yeah like he's dummy <laughs> completely shot himself in the foot by having to be the best and by never asking what's coming next yeah he and he never does he never does and and she says well now well, why did you do that so quickly now we have to have your stone trial and he says what? what's a stone trial and she says you don't know what a stone trial <laughs> and she's is. like meet me over by the stone whatever the right. stone hill and he's like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know where that is. <laughs> <It's> like, <sighs> so, you know, it's just interesting. And we know that he would have been able to learn these things because in his first trial, he asks Vachette, why didn't you tell me this? And she said, well, you never asked. I would have told you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but he still doesn't ask. He just kind of bowled forward and, and, uh, his pride got in his way a little bit, but either way, he's going to his stone trial. Well, one thing I, I, I'm sorry, I, I need to break this down a little bit because here's where again some of my confusion, kind of at the way it ends, comes from, and there's a little bit of just unresolved stuff here. So at this point, I get the impression that he is, he's passed the trial, he's passed the test, he's passed the test. He's a member of the school now. Yes. And Shan says, your your katan is poor. Right. It's good for, you know, a barbarian, and it's good for somebody who's studied for as little as you have, but it's still not good. Right. And it's unlikely that you'll... He's, she's like, this is a formality. You're not going to pass the first stone. You're going to get right. your butt handed to you. You know, and... and and I was kind of expecting that he'd somehow find a way. Right. You know, because that's just sort of what we tend to see in these books. And even with Quoth, we tend to see him find a way to do something he shouldn't be able to do. But I, I, I point that out because 
at the end, you know, he gets his butt kicked and I'm like, is this going to come back on him? Is this going to be something negative that he just sort of like, he went in and took a dive? Like, No, I, the way I understand it is, so the, the test at the sword tree was like his, was like getting admitted into college. Yeah. Okay. The stone trial is like his placement exam. Yeah, yeah. It's like just to see where you're at. Just you're, to see how remedial yeah. you need to go. You're going to have to take pre-algebra. <laughs> College math one. <laughs> we, we don't even dignify this with a one <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So, so yeah, Shane just kind of goes, look, don't. I mean, you're going to go in there. Don't worry about it. You're going to get your ass kicked. <laughs> um, so the, the stone trial is set up around this hill. There are four stones leading up. And basically what happens is you fight someone of the first stone who that's who is that's their status. They're of the first stone. And we've heard this before in the book. Mm-hmm. I am so-and-so of the first stone. You know, Two Fingers was very proud to be of the second stone. Yeah, Penthes of the third stone. Penthes of the third stone. So basically to get that stone, you have to fight and beat that person that person all the way up to shane is at the top of the hill mm-hmm. at the fourth stone which is a gray stone just oh i didn't i didn't catch note that. there yeah. yeah so he goes um and he's like okay fine and and he's worried but then he notices that people are eating roasted nuts and he's like okay i don't think i'm about to be brutally maimed yeah. in front of a crowd eating roasted nuts but then tempe runs up to him and says so good to see you uh by the way the first stone is carceret and she wants to break your pinkies. <laughs> exactly. You have her mother's sword, and she's a little pissed. <laughs> Carceret is pissed. She is not fucking happy. <laughs> so Quoth goes in there and has a has a almost fight, where but he does manage to strike her twice. Yeah, the other thing I thought was interesting is that she sees him and she throws down her sword which I take as a sign of disrespect. Like, right. you know, and he does not take advantage of that. And I don't know if this was wise or unwise, but he doesn't take advantage of it. He throws his own sword down too, as if to say, fine, I'll fight you on your level, which I think just causes her to become even more angry. Right. And again, we see this little mismatch between what would be honorable in his culture and what's honorable among the ADEM. Yeah. You know, in the ADEM, if you're fighting someone more skilled than you, it's honorable to have a weapon. You know, um, when Tempe is fighting the the toughs at the bar, he says, bring as many women as you need to feel safe. Yeah. You know, and to him, that's not that's not disrespectful, mm-hmm. you know. But so, yes, it would have been perfectly fine and honorable for him to bring his sword. But, you know, for in his culture, you don't fight an unarmed opponent when you're armed. Yeah, especially not with a sword. And either way, Carceret just just stomps him and really it's only his own incompetence that keeps him from getting completely maimed because at one point you know he accidentally lands a blow and she looks at him and it's like the terminator face yeah you know it's like there's a like he could see her skull through her skin he is like she is going to kill me and she goes to to kick him and a more experienced fighter would have dodged easily and then probably would have led into her next move but he just kind of stands there and goes flying yeah and at that point he's like i'm done i'm out ow ow my, my leg knee. Oh. 
<laughs> so he's saved by his own ineptitude and, and he stays down wisely. Yeah. He's starting to learn. So it's nice to see him not uh not have not not charge up there and be like, it would have been disappointing if he had made the third stone. You know, somehow, yeah, that would have been too much. You know, yeah, that would have been ridiculous. And, and if he had been like, oh, I'm going to win, you know, he's like, oh no, I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm good. I'll take remedial math. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it would have. It would have been way too. If he had, you know, if he had even beat Carceret, like I think that might have been. I might have been okay with that. Like mm-hmm. if he had played on her anger and baited her into doing something stupid. If he went any further than that and didn't get his ass completely handed to him, I would have been like, you know what? I was wrong. He's a Mary Sue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would have been the line for me too, but he doesn't. But he doesn't. And that's where our, that's where our section ends with him still laying on the ground going, my knee, my knee. I'm sorry. It's okay. If, if you turn the page, and you did. I know you didn't. No. Because you turn the page and it picks up like much later. Oh, yeah. No, With, like I... him talking like, I can't believe you did that. You know, and it was it's like later in the fight. Oh, I. You know. No. So anyway, you'll get to read that next week. Actually, yes. you can read it right now. I'm as not soon gonna. as we're done this podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, we're done. So at least with that section. So anything else? No, that's it. Okay. Predictions. Do it. I got one prediction. Okay. Doesn't have anything at all to do with this section. Okay. So I just listened to Cast Request. I think it's episode 84. Okay. Where they went through chapter 40 of The Wise Man's Fear. And I was listening to it and they were reading about Puppet. Hmm. And none of this is spoilery, by the way. It's all all relevant. But they had went through and they had had read a couple of like theories about Puppet. And most of them, I was like, okay, that's it's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. But one they said was, Puppet is an emir. And I thought, and my initial thought was no. But then I thought about it. And I'm big on the metatextual clues. Mm-hmm. So where an author will choose to use the exact same phrase usually is something that causes me to prick my ear up. And we read in the Felurian chapter where Felurian says there were no human Amir. Those were just people dressing up in their parents' clothes. And if you read back and you read the chapter on Puppet, the introduction to Puppet is when he kind of comes out of the room wearing this oversized robe and saying, I'm Taborlin the Great. And, quote, specifically says... He looked like a child dressed up in his parents' clothes. And I thought, that's, and that's the only other place that that occurs. So then I started, so then I started, okay, well, maybe there's some credibility here. Maybe, maybe this makes sense, you know? And so you have to think, and this was postulated in their episode as well. So, so hat, uh, hat trick to, uh, hat tip rather to, uh, the cast request, but, we we know and Quoth was dumbfounded by the fact that Puppet had candles. And you have to know that Master Lauren knows he's down there. So why is Master Lauren tolerating somebody like that down in his library unless it's somebody who he's sort of in line with? The other thing that sort of tip, tips me off and, and the thing that's really interesting is we have him sort of playing 
like while they start kind of talking, he picks up his puppets and starts playing, and he's playing with his tail and priest. And this is the other puppet is this woman. The woman comes up and tries to um, tries to treat with the tail and priest, and the tail and priest turns around and smacks her with a book, and then walks off and just begins to pray, just like like an emir might do, and nobody would judge him for it. And then when Quoth asks him what's behind the stone door he shuts him down like that's the point where he's like he's like i don't think that's any of your business and that's kind of the end of the puppet thing and i thought okay well that's all very that's leads me to believe maybe there's a possibility i don't know why in the hell there would be an aimer waiting in the you know in the bottom of the the library other than to go through all the text and remove references. But if that's the case, he doesn't catch it. Then in the very next chapter, so as soon as we turn the page after Puppet shuts his door and says, I've got some reading to do, the very next chapter is called The Greater Good. And that is where Quoth postulates to Simon Simon and Will, hey, maybe there are some Amir that are alive today and they're just hiding their tracks. So the timing of all those things lines up to me to say, there's an awful lot of clues to say maybe Puppet is one of the Amir, the human order of the Amir. Right. And yeah, I've, I've read that theory before. I don't know if I feel that. I think if Puppet is, Master Lauren is also. Oh, oh I agree. But um, I think there's a chance that they both are. And uh, certainly uh, yeah. I think it would make sense. And as we when we were talking about Master Lauren, it would make sense that the Amir would position some agents in the, the biggest library in the world as concerned as they are with keeping themselves out of the books and as meticulously as that's been done. So you, there would have to be probably more than one in there working. So that would certainly make sense to me. Yeah, that's, and again, I mean, you know, I, I think that's something we'll find out. Um, that's not something I would have caught if I hadn't just listened to that episode and where they referenced that him being dressed up like he was in his parents' clothes, I was like, oh my God, that's that's exactly what Felurian says. So that sort of kind of got my, my brain going that direction. So that's my onlyest prediction for this episode. Okay. Normally I have like three or four. But I don't have three or four this time. So do we want to talk about our interactions with our listeners? Yes. Good. Fantastic. And if you're still hanging out, there's something important that we are going to talk about at the very end of the podcast. <laughs> so don't, don't tune off. You got to listen. All right. So a couple of cool things. So we had two five-star ratings on iTunes. Awesome. So thank you. Thank you. These were not reviews that were left, so we don't know who left them. So you know who you are. Whoever you are, <laughs> we thank you very much, and we appreciate that. It helps. And then we got some interaction on Twitter as well. So the first interaction is from, I believe I'm pronouncing this right, Carius, who is at Carius22 on Twitter, and that's C-A-R-I-U-S. And this came this interaction came to us like an hour after i posted the last episode the an hour after i posted episode 25 right so i don't think they had a chance to listen to it yet and uh caria says hi from chile 
That's why I pointed out the time. Oh, that's funny. So I'm not sure if they heard us reference that at the end of the last podcast or not. Oh, okay. Um, and said, hey, I just want to let you know I enjoy your podcast a lot. And I was awesome. Like, awesome. So, so thank you. Good morning, Chile. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so uh, Theo at the OGB says, how do you pronounce it? Is it niche or niche? Niche. Yeah, I, I pronounce how it I pronounce niche. It. Like an itch. But I'm not a Brit. So well, we, we, they say Q. <laughs> they say some weird stuff. They're weird. So he's, he says, I say niche. And uh, he was like, but I don't think that's like a British thing. And I agree with him. Mm-hmm. I don't think that is. I think some people say niche. And yeah, some no, I've, niche. I've heard both from Americans. Yeah, absolutely. And um, both from, from Brits. Yeah. So he talked about, we, uh, we talked about that. And he said it was okay for us to talk about his band and the band, which I don't think he's actually in anymore, but was called Pocus Whiteface, which is like Pocus as in Hocus Pocus mm-hmm. Whiteface. And look them up on YouTube. If you're, he's like, we're quite niche. I don't know how many people are really going to be into. If you're into giant isopods and awesomeness, <laughs> then <laughs> Do you'll it. enjoy it. It's very, very <laughs> punk rock, you know, good, good, good music. I've listened to it a bunch, actually. I, I li- thought it was awesome. Yeah, I enjoyed it. A it lot. was definitely my jam. So yeah, so we enjoyed it quite a great bit, quite a great deal. So if you want to see what that's all about, go check that out. He also referenced that he is actually in the process of moving to Australia. So, so good so luck. Good luck with that, and that's a huge move. So it sounds like he's just now getting settled back in. So congrats on that. Hope everything is going well for you there. And then uh, Ian says. Did you catch the iambic pentameter in the Felurian section? And we talked about the rhyme scheme or, the, you know, that they were kind of going back and forth and they were, when they were starting to talk about important things, that there was a rhyme going on. And I definitely sensed that there was a rhythm to it, but I didn't. I did not catch that. And I didn't I'm catch blown that it was away. iambic pentameter. Gave me goosebumps. No. That's right. <laughs> and then, um, let's see. So Izzy at Izzy Kennedy says, she was thinking of the devastation we see in Storm and Stone, and it got me thinking, did something happen to Quoth's hands? And we kind of went back and forth about that a little bit. And she's like, I don't ever really remember any references to Coates' hands. Could it hmm. be that he's actually, his hands have been injured, and that's why he's struggling with things? I went, I didn't by any means go through all the, what's the word I'm looking for, the... Uh, Interludes. I didn't go through all the interludes, but I looked at a couple of them at the beginning of the name of the wind where he's introduced and it references his hands surprisingly frequently. Mm-hmm. Never says anything about them being disfigured or mm. missing fingers or anything mm-hmm. of that nature. So not at all conclusive, but No, the the impression that I have is that whatever happened to Kvoth is a mental or emotional. Yeah, that's the impression I, I got as well. Yeah. She also said that uh, Vachette making fun of Tempe was probably her favorite line in the entire book. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's, pr- it's pretty damn funny. And let's see. Uh, James C. said, love the comparison of the Adem and the Aturin stories. I hadn't thought of it like that. So James D. at Han stitched first. And then Joe Hurst, who is at Hurst Joe 86 I'll spell it H-U-R-S-T. J-O-E-86 said, just started listening, blew through episode seven already, keep up the good work. And if you're just getting to episode seven, then you're only just kind of catching us at our stride. I don't think we even started to get halfway decent at this until probably episode seven or eight. 
I think that's when we started to kind of pick up. Maybe our, they like really awkward banter. Well, then, then <laughs> you're in the right place. And who's to say we've hit our stride, by the way? I don't know that we have. <laughs> we could still be quite terrible. Now, I, I, there's a couple of other things we got on Twitter, but I'm going to come back to that. One other thing I want to highlight, because we, we haven't talked about this for quite a while and gone through and, and talked about our Facebook page and some of the likes that we've had on there. But we've gotten quite a few recently, and we need to probably go back and thank some of those folks. So I'm going to list out, and some of these are probably several weeks old, so just bear with me here. So if I say your name wrong, I apologize. I'm doing the best I can here with the pronunciation. But thank you to Jewel Hank, Zach Gooch, Victor Cruz, Curtis W. Franks, Juliana Kennedy, Christine Schmidt, Kevin Nicolellis, Nicholas Payotti, Rudy Vandemer. I do not know how to pronounce that one, so bear with me. The last uh, name is last part of the name is W. Excuse me, M E R W E. Thank you to David J- David Jenkins. Thank you to Lloyd Hawk. Uh, thank you to Nicholas Fusari. Thank you to Indigo Joyce, Nick Bolock, Charles Gibbs, Dwayne Brown, Theo Graham Brown, and Scott Malek. Malek. I'm not quite sure, but uh, thank you. If I butchered your name and you still stick around, makes you a good person in my book. So are we ready? Yeah, so I wanted to bring this up. So I had uh, Ian, Adam, and Daryl all in the last week who have said, all right, man, what's up next? We're coming to the end of the wise man's fear. You know, we need to know what to get ready for. So I want to make one one quick thing first about how we're going to kind of wrap up this section, and then we're going to get into the last thing that we want to talk about today. So after we close out The Wise Man's Fear, we are going to read Slow Regard of Silent Things. So we, we will read Slow Regard of Silent Things. That'll probably be a, a one episode. I would, I would imagine think, we'll probably yeah. cover that in one. Yeah, we'll do that in one episode, and then we're probably going to have one episode where we kind of wrap everything up, talk about some theories and different things of that nature before we move on to our next project. But that's not what people are asking about. People are ta- asking about what is our next project. So we decided to have a contest. Yes! <laughs> contest! The first official from the road while the cops are chasing us contest. <laughs> so here's the contest. I have written you a clue. Mm. And in keeping with our section that we read this week, I have written a clue in the the form of a, an ADEM poem. Yeah. Um, I use the style and um, meter of the, of the poem that Quoth writes for Penthe. Mm. So this poem describes a character in the next series that we are going to read and cover. So if you hear or read this, send us a direct message either on Twitter or Facebook. And uh, the first to guess it correctly is going to get a grand Duke and Duchess prize package. (laughs) Well, the prize package is going to be a t-shirt. It's a t-shirt, you guys, (laughs) but it's a sweet one. So we're, we will make it in your size 
custom for you, <laughs> your very own Duke and Duchess t-shirt. And we will reveal next In the next week, episode, yeah. Next episode, we will reveal what it is. But for those who want to join in the fun, and we'll go ahead and, and I'll put this out on Twitter and on the blog as well if you want to be able to read it. But here it is. Well, not until after we post the episode. Though. After we post the episode. Because we want to give you know the people who download it quickly... And, you know, who who are, you know, listening all the way to the end, we want to reward those people to really kind of get the first crack at it. So we ready? I'm excited. I hope hope it's not too obscure, but here it is. Plague born and barrow bred, the nameless child, this fatherless slave tied with bonds that will never be broken. Booyah. There it is. There you go. So, should I read it one more time? Yeah, read it one more time. Okay. Plague born and barrow bred, the nameless child, this fatherless slave, tied with bonds that will never be broken. Boom. There it is. So if you pick up on that clue and you know what that's a reference to, or if you just want to make a wild ass guess, (laughs) DM us on Twitter or Facebook and the first person, you know, time-wise, to come up with the correct answer will get your very own first ever limited edition. <laughs> limited edition. T-shirt <laughs> that we will somehow find, try and find a way to mail to Chile. <laughs> and hey, it's going to be special. It'll be a one of a kind. It will be. For sure. <laughs> So is that all we have for today? That's all we have for today. So if you want to get in touch with us or if you want to um, join in on the fun, you can always reach out to us on Facebook at the D&D podcast. D is in David, N is in Nancy, uh, D is in David podcast on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess or at our website at the Duke and Duchess podcast dot com. We always, always love the iTunes reviews. Uh, we also got a review from Oh, I hope I don't say, I hope I don't attribute this to the wrong person, but Ian gave us a review on uh, Stitcher. Oh, nice. So we got a, we got a review going on there as well. Cool. So we thank you for that because not everybody has access to the iTunes store and we understand that. So, so thank you for giving us reviews on any of the platforms. Really what we love more than anything is word of mouth. Really what we love more than anything is just interacting with you guys. It's a lot of fun. Um, but for the, making the podcast grow, the word of mouth is the thing that we covet the most. So that's all that I have. Do you have anything? That's all I got. So do I hear the sirens in the background? The sirens are in the background. We need to pull onto the football field and have our grand finale. <laughs> See y'all later. See y'all later. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>